Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. We are so excited to announce that Brave Commerce will be a media partner of Adweek's live virtual event, Commerce Week, this November 30th to December 2nd. Throughout Commerce Week, marketing leaders will share their strategies for innovation as brands adapt to the evolving consumer habits and new channels for discovery in 2022. We at Brave Commerce are thrilled to be part of an event that is elevating new digital trends, highlighting powerful industry leaders, as our podcast aims to do each and every week. And we will also be recording a live episode of Brave Commerce titled Staying Relevant in Consumer Dynamics with Joey Bergstein, the CEO of Sabra on December 1st at 1110 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Excited to see y'all at Adweek's Commerce Week, November, December. There's a book written many years ago called Third Culture Kids. And they're third culture kids because they were born in one place, but really had the opportunity to grow up in another. And it just changes your view of the world. And I'm of the mindset that if we all live someplace else outside of our country at birth for some period of time, we'd have very few wars, many fewer incidents of hate, because you realize at the end of the day, we're all way more similar than we are different. We want the same things in life. We want you know, our kids to have better lives than we do. We want to be healthy. We want to have great jobs. We want to have the love of our life. I learned that when I had the opportunity and blessing to be able to spend time overseas. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, where are you going for Thanksgiving? My dining room. I have been hosting Thanksgiving for 20 something years. In fact, I actually got engaged on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's my favorite holiday. Aw, so sweet. Look at Adam hiding the ring in the turkey. Oh my gosh, that's disgusting. <laughs> we'll have to have a different story about that another time. Your proposal story is pretty damn good, but we can talk about Sammy later. What about what about you? What are you doing? So we're hosting our first ever Thanksgiving in the Catskills. 
Sammy's cooking. My immediate family's coming as well as my dad's two older brothers. It'll kind of be half the size of normal typograph Thanksgiving. Half the size. So does that mean you get one turkey, you get half a turkey? Like what's, what's the way you think about that stuff? Well, the cool thing with living in the Catskills is we can go straight to the farm and uh, see what size turkeys. I thought you're like, we'll go straight to the backyard. Yeah, we'll see what size turkeys are available to us. Are you having the same guest count as you did last year? Last year, we had the smallest guest count ever. It was uh, pre-vaccine, but typically we have 20 to 30 people. I think we'll probably be paring it down a little bit, which just means I get to spend a little bit more on making all of those extra trimmings that much sweeter. And all of your charcuterie plates. Oh, I do love me some charcuterie. It is true. Well, it's funny because we learn with Kirk, the CEO of IRI, that people are absolutely hosting Thanksgiving this year, slightly smaller groups. And as a result, they're spending more per head. So it sounds like a pretty bougie, intimate dinner party. Well, you know, that's what people say about me when they come to my house. She hosts quite the bougie, (laughs) intimate dinner party. But yeah, this is something very similar to the trends that we saw in the beginning of the pandemic. When people weren't going out, they were willing to spend a little bit more to at least try to create some element of normalcy or pizzazz to try to kind of make being home a little bit better. But now the combination of inflation and savoring those moments is driving a lot more either luxury purchases or investments in things that seem to have a greater degree of what matters, which just reinforces why investing in brands continues to be super important. Well, let's bring Kirk onto the show so we can hear his predictions of holiday 2021. Kirk Perry, the CEO of IRI, former Google, former Procter & Gamble, who has been in this role for how long now? A hundred and something days? Are you counting anymore? Five and a half months in. Wow. So what are some early insights that you found from joining? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. I 23 years at PNG, almost eight years at Google, you know, and I thought I'd seen it all. And it's a little bit of back to the future coming in because, you know, a lot of the partners that I work with at IRI are very similar to Google. And, and one of those is, is PNG. What's interesting to me, and I, I tell the story when I first joined Procter, my data provider was IRI. And Leslie was her name. She would come and drop off like these five three ring binders that were like eight inches thick and drop them off on my desk the first Monday of the month. And I would then take those binders. I would put the data onto, I'm aging myself here, Lotus one, two, three spreadsheets. That was my analytics and data capability back then, right? So I'd take it, put it on there, figure out what's happening and then go forward. What's interesting is while we've moved online with data, a lot of the systems and the way we approach data haven't changed that much, which is interesting and surprising, right? So when we're familiar with something, when we're comfortable with something, you know, we stick with it. Just it's human nature. But I think what's happening now is there's such a convergence of significant amounts of data, rapidly moving marketplaces. I know every generation says, oh, it's never been this fast. It's never been this crazy. I don't think it ever has been because things are moving now at breakneck pace, throw on top of that pandemic, and you have this interesting fuel mixture. So one of the one of the learnings is like it's interesting to see how much of our sort of systems, even from when I started, still are in place. We still exchange Excel spreadsheets. 
right? That still happens today, which is pretty interesting. I think as we go forward, you know, one of the things that my chief technology officer, Ash Patel talks about is we want to drive the death of a dashboard. Like how do we get people out of the world of Excel spreadsheets, dashboarding into a world of prescriptive analytics, augmented decision-making. So you leverage what's new in technology and you're able to think of Jarvis from Iron Man, one of my favorite visual metaphors of ambient computing, right? In the future world, we're going to be able to do three-dimensional computing from anywhere, right? You won't need a phone. You won't need a watch. You won't need a screen. You'll be able to do it from anywhere. And that, you know, is that science fiction? A little bit, but there really will be a world coming where we're able to do this ambient computing. I think so that's one. The other thing for me is, you know, this this whole notion of omni-channel, you know, in, in the past, and we talked about this a little bit, Sarah, at your conference, but, you know, these online and offline behaviors used to be separate things, right? We were, you were either a brick and mortar shopper or you were an online shopper. And there's, re- there's really no separation of that today. And I, and I mentioned to you the story of when I was sitting in a Nordstrom, my girls had told me the specific shoes my wife wanted for the holidays. And I had tried to order them online and said they were out of stock. But when I was in the store and I saw them and there was the queue was amazing to get someone to help me. I went back online. They had a pair in her size available. I ordered them, picked them up at the counter in three minutes. So was I an omni-channel consumer? I was in store, but I ordered in store and I picked it up in store. Like I think those worlds are just converging now. And I used to have, you know, in my days in baby care at Proctor, I would have a digital brand manager and an all other brand manager. And those days are gone of where people separate those pieces and they have one brand manager who looks across the entire spectrum to make sure that what the consumer sees, how they think about insights, how they think about marketing all come together in one person. So, you know, as much as things change, they stay the same. As much as things stay the same, we need to change them. And so those are some things that I've, you know, observed over the last five and a half months. Kirk, your anecdote resonates with me because earlier this year, I brought on an independent board member, Irene Chang Brett, who was the CEO of Pepperidge Farms. And she was in CBG for 30 years. And she goes, Rachel, like, I'm so out of the game. I go, Irene, you're more in the game than you think. Nothing has changed in 30 years <laughs> uh, when it comes to CPG. But, uh, you know, IRI obviously provides some of the biggest, probably even to say all of them, with real-time data in terms of consumer shopping and media consumption behaviors. And you have this infamous inflation tracker. So much is changing in real time, given that we're living in this slightly post-pandemic world. What are some of the most interesting trends that IRI has seen? Yeah. Yeah. So we do have something called the IRI inflation tracker. And we all know we're all consumers, right? We see gas prices going up. We see meat prices going up. We see staple prices going up. I mean, it is very clear. And yet when you see the government indexes, you just go, mm, wait a minute, is that is that true? Is it inflation only that much? Because it seems like it's a lot higher. So I'll give you an example. We're seeing about 7% inflation across total CPG right now. Um, and it's 8% for perishables and non-edibles um, compared to year ago levels. That's significant. And what's interesting is we're seeing some of the highest inflation in the U.S., as high as 12% in the south central part of the U.S., places like Arkansas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Texas. So the beauty of data is as you peel the layers of the onion back, you see these interesting insights and trends. So what our hypothesis was is that it's probably, and we think we verified this, it's probably worse in the south as mobility is increasing significantly 
is they're coming off the worst of the Delta variant. It means that as mobility increases, people head back to the stores for fresh foods and it drives up demand and their supply challenges. So economics one-on-one, right? So we have limited supply in some cases, we have increasing demand and hence that's happening. The other interesting thing is that we're seeing less promotion and less price discounts, which also drives up inflation because consistently, you typically would see our CPG partners doing across the board promotion. And with supply chain issues, with labor shortages, with production costs, all driving price up, taking out promotion actually is like a double impact to pricing because you'd be able to offset. I mean, typically what I would do in my old world at PNG is we took pricing, we would typically for some period of time, amp up our promotion spend to offset. So the consumer was transitioned into those price increases. But right now that's not happening. And what we're seeing interestingly is in food categories like fresh beef and bacon, virtually no price promotion discounts at all. That's why you should all be kosher. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know what, Sarah, everything is better with bacon. I've heard that before. I, I've heard that in turkey bacon just doesn't doesn't do what it needs to do. Although kosher meat has also had ridiculous price increases. Exactly. Let's dive a little bit deeper into the double whammy of the pricing and the promotion. Are you seeing any geographic or regional trends as it relates to whether or not those um, pricing and promotion elements are as intense? Mm. We're starting to see this a little bit more with certain brands and certain categories where pricing is maybe not taking as much of a hit, but promotions are like what, what kind of trends more specifically? And if you want to keep talking about bacon, I won't be offended. (laughs) No, I'll jump off of bacon, but we absolutely see different trends by region. Um, Overall demand is a great example. Our demand index shows total US CPG demand is up 7% versus a year ago. But we have certain areas of the country that are more than double the national average. So example, in Louisiana, up 15% uh, total CPG demand. And we also, again, see this trend across the South Central US. And we think a lot of that is is a function, as I just mentioned, of post-Delta, or not post-Delta, but as it's waning, we see increased mobility. We actually see that with Google mobility trends is we, we actually see that increasing significantly in the South Central part of the U.S. We also know that a lot of this demand is driven by e-commerce. And Sarah, you and I have talked about this before, but what the pandemic didn't do was drive a lot of new behavior. It accelerated things people are already working on. You know, e-commerce has been that buzzword forever. Like, oh, we're going to improve e-commerce. We're going to spend time in e-commerce. And it forced everyone to be better at e-commerce from Joe's Pizza Shop in New York to Walmart and everything in between, people had to be better at e-commerce. So it blossomed. And we believe that a lot of this online purchasing behavior is going to continue because once you're used to it, you're used to it. And once you realize kind of getting back to what shoppers really want, which again, I'm a simple guy and I think they want assortment, they want convenience and they want value. And with the shoppers grow accustomed to this and they can do click and collect, they can do pure plays online this is going to be part of my, my mom and dad, you know, my, my parents in their seventies, you know, who will call me and like, Hey, how do I, how do I get this app on my phone? Sort of questions. You know, they're, they're, they're using, they're using online grocery delivery services and they're ordering food on delivery apps. So 
you know, if my mom and dad are doing that, the general consumer population is. Another trend we're seeing very interestingly on e-commerce is in the edible category. You know, when you think about like, at least for me, I rarely would order anything that was ready to eat or fresh online. I just thought, well, I want to go in and see it and feel it and touch it. But we see significant growth in this area. So frozen items, for example, online are up 14% versus you're frozen. Like who'd have thought that frozen items are growing, you know, in double digits versus a year ago. And that's because people now have more confidence and frankly, born out of necessity in the pandemic when they wanted to have those items delivered to them. And even in non-edible items like pet food and vitamins, they've, they've always done well because the routine purchases, but you know, we'll continue to see this, this increase in food sales online. And it's because of the investments that retailers and CPG partners have made in e-commerce, right? The infrastructure to be able to do that, to get frozen goods to your home, to get fresh goods to your home. And in other places of the world, like the UK, they've been doing this for some time, but the pandemic really drove that acceleration here in the US. Kirk, curious um, your thoughts on retailer preference and consumer loyalty. Hmm. And one of the things we've seen at Micmac is that name of the game right now is where is inventory available? Yeah. It, it's, it's trumping price. Like I just need this product right now and then how fast can I get it? And we see that people are trying retailers they've never shopped at before. You alluded to your mom and dad now moving into the dark side of e-com. Um, but what is IRI seeing in terms of consumer loyalty to specific retailers? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because we have some data that shows like if a consumer goes in to find a particular brand and it is not in that retailer, we see that 40%-ish of consumers will leave that retailer and buy it at another retailer. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's this, I think this, it's this intersection of retailer loyalty and brand loyalty that really becomes the interesting challenge to solve for going forward. I can tell you as an example, um, I sit on the board of Smucker and we make Jif peanut butter. And during the pandemic, because we were short on everything, we were having a heck of a time producing and getting, we, we dropped the number of SKUs on Jif. I want between four and six, right? So we have a plethora of SKUs. We cut it down to four and six. We looked at what was the majority of our business being driven by and what could we make? And how do we get it into those retailers that they have enough? Because obviously the surge was incredible at the beginning of the pandemic. And what we saw was as long as we were in stock at the particular retailers that consumers wanted, then we were completely fine because people would say, oh, if they don't have my particular size, or maybe is it chunky or is it smooth? They'll stay in the brand and they'll stay in the retailer as long as it's sitting there. So I think it's interesting because you know, I don't know that that's changed significantly. It's just, in other words, I we, I remember that data from when I was a brand assistant or ABM at Procter, right? If if there wasn't an item at a, at a retailer, consumers would leave. But I think now consumers can actually check on their phones whether a retailer has a favorite brand of theirs in stock, right? So, you know, some of your favorite online companies will enable you the opportunity to see what's in stock at a particular retailer. So what we don't know is people that walk in and leave and mm-hmm. go someplace else to buy they might not even go in to begin with mm. because they could see that their brand's not in stocks. They may go to another retailer. So I think it's incumbent upon retailers to have the right assortment. Back to your, I think that was your real question is how do you manage the assortment and make sure that, you know, retail preference doesn't change. You know, I, I won't tell you the retailer, but there is one retailer that I shop at that I always get frustrated by. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, why? like they, they don't carry my, my favorite. Why don't they carry my favorite brand? They have a limited assortment anyway. Why do they, 
Why do they go in and out of this thing? And I have to go someplace else and it's annoying. So it makes me rethink, like, do I, do I stay at this retail or just buy it from another? So I even go through that as a consumer as well. No, it's, a, it's a great point. And I think one of the things that we've certainly been seeing through the Proftero data and Smucker's client of ours, and we actually had Charlene Zappa on and she was absolutely extraordinary talking about how, you know, the blurring of the lines within the company and you guys have been doing a great job in your, I guess, side hustle of your board seat. But I think one of the things that we've certainly been seeing, whether it's a related to peanut butter or anything else, is that particularly with e-commerce or a lot of the people that are doing the click and collect, you don't even know if people are going to be bothering walking into the store or not. They're just searching on your app or your mobile site and saying, okay, do, do they have peanut butter? Yes or no. And so if you don't even show up in search results, you may have it in stock, you may not. But if you're not showing up, you're basically invisible. Yep. And so the way brands are even looking at how they start operating is not just actually about what's in inventory, but what is discoverable. And uh, that those are, those are these things where brands and retailers are still relatively new to thinking through what does it mean to have my brand available? And part of it is making sure that it can be found because there's no such thing as the peanut butter aisle online. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we're entering the holiday season. This one will hopefully be different than the one prior. What are your predictions, Kirk, for Thanksgiving and Christmas when it comes to consumer shopping? I'm doing some holiday prognosticating now, uh, Rachel. So, um, you know, what we saw this year is that both back to school and Halloween uh, happened earlier and and not surprising, right? Because the media has been talking about, you know, now there's 80 ships sitting off the, the port of Los Angeles getting ready to unload and everybody be ready to get disappointed at the store shelves with Christmas inventory. So I think, in consumers' minds are this, oh my gosh, I've got to go early. So we do expect Thanksgiving and Christmas shopping to take place earlier in the year. And this is this is just a reality. I mean, consumers are going to, I even find myself doing it. Like we were talking last night, we're still mid-October and we're talking about, okay, we better order Christmas stuff now for our kids because I can't wait like I normally do until 10 days before and you know hope that it gets there early. I have to start now to make sure the supply chain. So we're already, we're actually already seeing significant out of stock for typical Thanksgiving items. Um, interestingly, like whipped toppings, liquid gravy, frozen pie and pastry shells, refrigerated pies, bigger pies are five to 11% lower in stock levels this week than a year ago. So think about that. Like those are staples of Thanksgiving. And because I mentioned this earlier, retailers and CPGs don't want to promote, but they can't promise will be on shelves shoppers should see fewer promotions this year. I mean, we walk into a store prior to Thanksgiving and you see the discount signs everywhere, right? What you get digitally, what you get, you know, via circulars, they're not going to have nearly as many promotions this year. And because of that, prices are going to be higher. What we see is, is on average prices in what I'd call Thanksgiving critical categories are up almost 4% from year ago levels. And with certain products, like I just mentioned, the frozen pies and pastry shells, they're up 6% versus a year ago. We're also predicting trends based on the size of holiday gatherings. We found in a survey that 28% of consumers responded back to the survey saying their their celebration this year is going to be different than normal due to COVID-19 because 
they're going to celebrate with more people than last year. I mean, we were still in the throes of kind of pre-vaccines last year, right? So it was fewer people. So the number of attendees this year is what we're seeing. Again, this is data from consumers is going to be six averagely, which is up from four to five last year, but not yet back to where we were in 2019 when it was eight. Because this year, more people will be getting together. We anticipate, interestingly, larger turkeys. So we're talking 18 to 24 pounds versus 12 to 14 pounds. So again, a nuance, but I think it's interesting as people get bigger gatherings, they're going to be wanting bigger turkeys. We've also seen a trend for items that make entertaining easier, like charcuterie boards and racks of ribs and prime meats and fresh crab legs and dessert cakes and cheesecakes. These have grown significantly faster now than in 2020, which kind of speaks to the sense of desire to be back to normal, to do more entertaining and to have more ready to eat entertaining. And we've, we've also seen premiumization on these indulgent items is a way to entertain and impress your guests or potentially even replicate something you saw at a restaurant. I mean, these are anecdotal things, but when you think about it intuitively, I, I know we've done that as a family as well. We've had more people over here like from summer net to now than we typically have. So even though there's inflation, shoppers are still choosing to upgrade their food choices when it fits in with their values and it makes premium items in demand. So that's good news for some manufacturers because they're in retailers. We saw that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we saw that certainly with in the beer and spirits category. We saw that actually pre-vaccine rollout was that they were saying, well, you know what, we're not going to bars. And so if we're not going to bars, let's make sure we get like top shelf stuff at home. And so you might've actually been in a situation where maybe you didn't always stock the best of the best at home, but now, but now you do. Although I do find it fascinating to know that, to, to think that charcuterie is some, by the way, I have made some of the most gorgeous charcuterie boards during the pandemic. It's like one of those things that, you know, you're going to eat it all anyway, but it's still nice to make it look pretty, but the fact that people are getting together and all eating off of the same board, I find actually fascinating. Not COVID safe. Not COVID safe, but I do believe you. I do believe you. Well, Sarah, sadly, we have to ask our famous last question. Well, it's not sad. It's great. It's the best question. It is. It is. Mm. Kirk, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? Mm. So probably when I made the decision to move to South Korea, uh, when I was with Procter and Gamble, it was, uh, you know, I was 31 years old. The company came to me and there was an opportunity to go to Brussels, Belgium, to stay in Cincinnati or go to Korea. And I remember we went over for our look-see visit and it was so shockingly different, which is why I was drawn to it. Because I said, you know what, if I'm going to go international, I'm going to go big or I'm not going at all. And, you know, at the time, it's still the case, right? Asia was exploding in growth. I was in the baby care business and 80% of births of babies in the world were coming from Asia. I'm like, all right, this seems like the place to be. And company leadership, the senior leaders had done stints in Asia. So that, well, this must be the place where people go. But it was amazing. Uh, We were in Korea for three years. Then we went to Japan for three years. And it really changed our lives. I I say I was a better, coming out of it, a better dad, a better husband, better leader, a better human being. Because what I really saw and experienced was, you know, people would say, oh, what do you like better, Japan or Korea? Or how does it compare to the U.S.? And I I learned this, this expression from somebody. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just different. And I think, you know, I I learned, you know, as as a business leader to, I had to rely because I wasn't in my first language. I had to rely on other people 
So I had to learn how to delegate. I had to learn how to listen better. I had to learn how to ask questions better. So it really made me, I think, a better leader from that standpoint. And personally, when you see different cultures and ideas, you realize like, wow, there's so much about this world I have to learn. And it just kind of planted the seed in me. And it gave my kids, my older two daughters were four and one, we moved there and they were, you know, 10 and seven, we returned to my now 21 year old, he was born in Japan. And it's just interesting to see them in their view of the world. You know, I call them, there's a book written many years ago called third culture kids. And they're third culture kids because they were born in one place, but really had the opportunity to grow up in another. And it just changes your view of the world. And I'm of the mindset that if we all live someplace else, outside of our country at birth for some period of time, we'd have very few wars, many fewer incidents of hate, because you realize at the end of the day, we're all way more similar than we are different. We want the same things in life. We want you know, our kids to have better lives than we do. We want to be healthy. We want to have great jobs. We want to have the love of our life. Name those things, right? They're common across cultures. And I just, I learned that when I had the opportunity and blessing to be able to spend time overseas. So that was my, and it, by the way, it was scary as hell. When I first went there, I different language, different sites, different sounds. I mean, it was so different, but it was so growthful. If you're not comfortable being uncomfortable, you're not going to grow. And, and that's what I learned in my experience there. So that was probably one of the, that and leaving the comfort of my PNG, you know, professional experience to go to Google. It's probably the other one, but definitely moving to Asia was a big growth experience for me. Well, third culture kids sound like the coolest kids. So only can imagine how cool your kids are and what an incredible professional life opportunity. It was. It was great. Thankfully, they're like my wife. So they are cool. Yeah. <laughs> Self-deprecation will get you nowhere, sir. Oh, wait, I forgot. It's gotten you everywhere. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us, Kirk. We're incredibly thankful for the generosity of your time and, and dropping some really valuable knowledge for our listeners. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program 
for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of True, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming centre stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.